Welcome to PQ Doc on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. I'm Pradeep Kamath, coming to you from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory University School of Medicine. And I'm Rahul Demania from Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital, and we are two pediatric ICU physicians passionate about all things MedEd in the PICU. PICU Doc on Call focuses on interesting PICU cases and management in the acute care pediatric setting. So let's get into our episode. So welcome to our episode of a two-year-old on high-flow nasal cannula. Here's the case presented by Dr. Rahul Dimania. A two-year-old girl, previously healthy, was admitted to the pediatric intensive care unit for acute respiratory distress characterized by increased work of breathing and wheezing. Her symptoms began as a mild cough and runny nose two days prior, which rapidly progressed to significant respiratory difficulty. Notably, she had no fever, and her immunizations, including the influenza vaccine, were up to date. In the emergency department, her respiratory distress was evident. She had nasal flaring, intercostal retractions, and decreased air entry in both lung bases. Her oxygen saturation was 92% on room air, and she was tachypnic with a respiratory rate of 55. The diagnosis of a viral infection was confirmed with a positive respiratory viral panel, which was positive for RSV. Initial management with supplemental oxygen and nebulized albuterol yielded limited improvement. Upon admission to the pediatric ICU, she was started on high-flow nasal cannula therapy and escalated to 2 liters per kilo per minute. Chest x-ray revealed hyperinflation and peribronchial thickening with no focal consolidation. The overall therapy has led her to improve in her oxygenation status from low 90s to 96% on 45% FiO2, and she now has a marked reduction in her breathing. So to summarize, key elements from this case, this patient has a prodrome of URI symptoms, increased work of breathing as evidenced by nasal flaring, intercostal retractions, and decrease in air entry at the lung basis. A key management element here is the patient was started on high-flow nasal cannula, which improved her work of breathing and SpO2. So this episode will be organized in the following manner. We're first going to take a deep dive into the history of high-flow nasal cannula. Then we're going to pivot and talk a little bit about increased work of breathing and correlate the physiology of high-flow nasal cannula and how it mitigates respiratory distress. Finally, we will be encompassing the literature behind the use of high-flow nasal cannula in the pediatric critical care setting. So, Pradeep, let's go ahead and start with the short multiple choice question. A three-year-old child with severe bronchiolitis is being managed in the pediatric ICU with high-flow nasal cannula therapy. Which of the following best describes the primary mechanism by which high-flow nasal cannula improves oxygenation in this patient? A, increased alveolar recruitment with CPAP, B, decreased dead space ventilation, C, increased mucociliary clearance with cool mist and humidified oxygen, or D, directly increasing oxygen diffusion at the alveolar level. Rahul, the correct answer is B, decreasing anatomical dead space ventilation. Now, the primary mechanism by which high-flow nasal cannula improves oxygenation in patients with conditions like acute bronchiolitis is by decreasing anatomical dead space ventilation. 
High flow nasal cannula delivers heated and humidified oxygen at high flow rates, which helps flush out the nasopharyngeal space, thus reducing the rebreathing of carbon dioxide from the anatomical dead space. Now, this efficient removal of carbon dioxide and the subsequent decrease in dead space improve ventilation efficiency and overall oxygenation. High flow nasal cannula also reduces inspiratory resistance and improves airway compliance. Additionally, by thoroughly conditioning the inspired air, it decreases energy expenditure and improves mucociliary clearance by hydrating the airway mucosa, which is so important in kids who have acute bronchiolitis. Awesome, Pradeep. I'm so glad you brought this up. And what we're going to do now is lean into a question which I think consistently is brought up regarding high flow nasal cannula in the PICU. Frankly, this is an area of consistent debate. But Pradeep, you have to tackle this myth. Does high flow nasal cannula provide any reasonable amount of PEEP? So Rahul, the answer is somewhat nuanced. While high-flow nasal cannula is primarily used for its ability to deliver high-flow heated and humidified oxygen, thereby reducing the work of breathing and improving gas exchange, it does generate a certain level of PEEP. However, this PEEP is generally minimal and very variable. It is dependent on factors like the flow rate of the high-flow nasal cannula, the size of the nasal cannula relative to the patient's nares, and whether the patient's mouth is open or closed. In clinical practice, though, the amount of PEEP provided by high-flow nasal cannula is not as high or as consistent as what we can achieve with other respiratory support devices, such as bi-level positive pressure or even mechanical ventilation. Thanks, Pradeep, for that overview. And I think that the answer overall is a no. And I do want to bring up a, a very important study in 2022 that was published in CHEST by Dr. Kemani and colleagues. And they looked at children aged three years or younger with bronchiolitis. And it was found that high flow nasal cannula therapy primarily reduces breathing effort, but does not consistently increase lung volume at the end of a breath. And they called that the end expiratory lung volume. So it did not consistently increase end expiratory lung volume or the amount of air moved per breath. Advanced measurements actually indicated the variable effects on lung volume, and there was no real significant change in air movement. So overall, what this study suggested is that high flow nasal cannula's effectiveness in bronchiolitis may not be primarily due to increasing lung pressure, and thus the overall thought process is that high-flow nasal cannula does not provide significant PEEP at the alveolar level. So Rahul, what were the most impactful results from the above study that you mentioned? Absolutely. So, you know, the results really indicated a reduction in the pressure rate product. The pressure rate product is a marker for work of breathing, signifying decreased effort of breathing with increasing high-flow cannula flow rates. What is very key that I must reiterate here is that there was no alterations in both tidal volume as well as end expiratory lung volume. So what does high-flow nasal cannula do? It does not provide PEEP, but it does reduce the pressure rate product. And thus, if you have a lower pressure rate product, you are going to have a correlated less work of breathing. So now that we have debunked 
a prevailing theory, let's focus on the few key mechanisms which can help us conceptualize how high-flow nasal cannula works. Now, here are the key mechanisms to take away. Washout of nasopharyngeal dead space, reduction in upper airway resistance, and optimal conditioning of gas. So, Pradeep, let's go into this a little bit more. Can you tell me a bit about nasopharyngeal dead space and how does high-flow nasal cannula modulate this? High-flow nasal cannula therapy uses a simple yet effective concept similar to clearing a pathway in a crowded room. Now, just as clearing a path allows for easier movement, the high-flow nasal cannula clears out the leftover air in the upper part of the airway, the oro and the nasopharynx after each breath. This is akin to washing out the dead space areas where air isn't effectively exchanged within the lungs. By doing this, the high-flow nasal cannula fills the spaces with oxygen-rich air. So when the patient takes their next breath, they are inhaling this oxygen-rich air instead of the usual room air, which has less oxygen. It is like having a personal reserve of oxygen-rich air right at the start of their breathing pathway, making every breath more efficient in delivering oxygen. So just to summarize, clinically, this means patients don't have to work as hard to get the oxygen that they need, making high-flow nasal cannula a valuable tool in treating conditions where breathing is a struggle, like bronchiolitis. High-flow nasal cannula provides continuous oxygen, enhances the washout of the nasopharyngeal dead space, reduces inspiratory resistance, improves airway compliance, and generates just a small amount of PEEP, but that's just in the upper pharynx, nothing on the alveolar level. It also conditions the air, reducing energy expenditure and improving mucociliary clearance. And trust me, these kids with bronchiolitis have increased mucousy secretions and their FRC and closing capacity are very close together. And that's why they get a lot of atelectasis as well. Now, it's considered more comfortable and less invasive than regular oxygen therapy because of the heated humidification properties of high-flow nasal cannula. Clinical studies indicate that high-flow nasal cannula can also reduce the need for intubation. High-flow nasal cannula can also serve as a bridge therapy between standard oxygen therapy and nasal CPAP, especially for children who don't benefit sufficiently from standard oxygen therapy. And just anecdotally, typically we consider high-flow nasal cannula refractory when we're reaching to about two liters per kilo per minute of flow. All right. In the second most important mechanism, the high-flow nasal cannula reduces upper airway inspiratory resistance. Imagine trying to drink a thick milkshake through a narrow straw. It takes a lot of effort and work. Now replace that narrow straw with a wider one and suddenly the drinking becomes much easier. This is similar to how high-flow cannula therapy works in reducing upper airway resistance. In conditions like those often seen in neonates and infants, the airways can be uh, likened to the narrow straw, offering resistance and making breathing very laborious for that infant. High-flow nasal cannula produces a rapid flow of gas, matching or even exceeding the rate at which those patients naturally inhale. This is like swapping the narrow straw for a much wider one, effectively reducing the resistance in the upper airways which is basically the oropharynx and the nasopharynx. 
Now, finally, let's understand how high-flow nasal cannula differs from low-flow nasal cannula in terms of gas conditioning. Absolutely, Pradeep. So let's go into this. Think of how it feels to step into a dry air-conditioned room after being outside on a hot, humid day. The sudden change in air quality can feel uncomfortable, even jarring to your respiratory system. This is somewhat akin to what happens when patients, especially children with respiratory illnesses, are given cold, dry air through the traditional low-flow nasal cannula. It can increase the work of their respiratory system, sometimes leading to discomfort, bronchospasm, and also bleeding because of that very cold, misty air. So now let's contrast that. Let's consider high-flow nasal cannula therapy. It's like walking into a room with the perfectly balanced temperature and humidity tailored to comfort. High-flow nasal cannula delivers gases that are heated and humidified, matching the body's natural conditions. For children who are breathing fast and rapidly using up their tidal volume, which is the normal amount of air displaced between normal inhalation and exhalation, this optimal conditioning of gas is a game changer. It reduces the energy their body needs to spend on warming and humidifying the air themselves. This in turn lowers their overall oxygen demand and reduces the risk of airway irritation, bronchospasm, and it just makes their breathing easier and more effective. In contrast to low-flow nasal cannula and other devices that deliver colder, drier air, high-flow nasal cannula stands out in its ability to support the respiratory system more naturally and comfortably, particularly valuable for infants with heightened respiratory needs. Advantages of high-flow nasal cannula compared to uh, other non-invasive positive pressure ventilation devices, such as bi-level positive pressure devices, include the application of high-flow nasal cannula via nasal prongs and not via a very tight-fitting claustrophobic mask interface. High-flow nasal cannula does allows patients to eat, drink, and even talk without the constraints of a tight-fitting mask. Additionally, the setup of high-flow nasal cannula is easy, so it can be initiated outside the PQ, in the emergency department, step-down units, and even the post-surgical units without needing a lot of resources. So as we conclude this episode, let's distill the essence of high-flow nasal cannula therapy and pediatric care. I think high-flow nasal cannula stands out for its ability to alleviate the work of breathing, offering an effective alternative when standard oxygen delivery methods or disease-specific treatments like bronchodilators for asthma don't suffice. Evidence shows us that high-flow nasal cannula can notably reduce respiratory distress and enhance oxygen saturation in children across various respiratory conditions. So Rahul, it's crucial to recognize that while high-flow is beneficial, it is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Up to 15% of critically ill pediatric patients might still require escalation to more invasive support like endotracheal intubation and mechanical ventilation. This highlights the importance of vigilant monitoring and frequent reassessment when using high-flow nasal cannula. As healthcare providers, understanding these nuances allows us to optimize high-flow nasal cannula's application at the bedside, ensuring we deliver the most effective individualized care to our young patients. So Rahul, how do we know that a high-flow nasal cannula is working for an infant? 
Absolutely, Pradeep. So typically, we're going to dose the high-flow nasal cannula at 0.5 to 2 liters per kilo per minute. And in my opinion, I like to look at heart rate and respiratory rate, more physiologic parameters. So let's go through these. Heart rate, what you want to do is you want to look for a noticeable decrease in heart rate. In a study published in 2014 by Mayfield and colleagues, responders to high-flow nasal cannula showed a significant reduction in heart rate compared to non-responders. While the exact threshold for what a significant reduction can vary, a drop that moves the heart rate closer to the normal range for the child's age can be considered an indicative response. And I would say this occurs anywhere between 60 to 90 minutes after initiation of high-flow nasal cannula therapy. Now, the second physiologic parameter as soon as you initiate these patients on high-flow nasal cannula is respiratory rate. Now, a decrease in respiratory rate is a key indicator of high-flow nasal cannula efficacy. In a study published in the European Journal of Pediatrics by Bresson and colleagues, the median respiratory rate decreased by 13 to 20 breaths per minute within the first three hours of high-flow nasal cannula therapy. Again, the target respiratory rate should approach the normal range for the child's age. Absolutely, Rahul. And finally, I also look at the oxygen saturation, the SpO2. Improvement in SpO2 levels is crucial. A rise in SpO2 while maintaining or reducing the FiO2, which is the fraction of the inspired oxygen, indicates a positive response. Uh, Milesi et al. in Intensive Care Med uh, in 2013 highlighted the importance of SpO2-FiO2 ratio with more than 200 at 60 minutes being a significant marker of improvement. All right, Pradeep, let's summarize the episode today, particularly the high-flow nasal cannula therapy and its physiologic effects. Number one, high-flow nasal cannula washes out nasopharyngeal dead space. Second, there is a reduction in upper airway resistance. Third, it's going to have optimal conditioning of gas. And in terms of clinical pearls, remember that high-flow nasal cannula approaching two liters per kilo per minute is a significant amount of support. And this is where you should change your thought process on other ways to support the infant. This concludes our episode on the physiology of high-flow nasal cannula. We hope you found value in a short case-based podcast. We welcome you to share your feedback, subscribe, and place a review on our podcast. Please visit our website, pqdoconcall.org, which showcases our episodes as well as our Doc on Call management cards. PQ Doc on Call is hosted by me, Pradeep Kamath, and my wonderful co-host, Dr. Rahul Dimania. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Thank you.